Holy Father, we come before you in, your, in the name of your Holy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we seek to enter into your presence through the power and presence of your Holy Spirit. We've come, Lord, to truly worship you. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being able to assemble together as God's people for worship, to lift our hearts in praise, to lift our hearts in prayers of adoration, of thanksgiving, of joy for all that you are and all that you've done for us as your people. We ask, Lord, that as we look into your word, that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, illuminate our minds and hearts to receive the living and abiding word of God. And that it, Lord, would do its transforming work in our hearts so that, Lord, we would be drawn ever closer to you, become your obedient people, and proclaim the good news of Christ coming into the world to save sinners. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There are many words in the English language that have multiple meanings. And it's only the context that is really the only way that we can understand its usage. One of those words is used in this text in James. It is patient. To be patient is uh, to be a patient is far different than to being patient. To be a patient infers that you're sick or you're under the care of a specialist in medicine. To be patient infers an inner quality of endurance, composure, intelligence, and even fidelity, often shown by one's attitudes and action or inaction in life's issues. My question to you this morning is, are you a patient person? Not that are you a patient of a doctor, but are you one of those people who are patient? Or do you see yourself as impatient? James' use of this word, patient, focuses on that latter meaning, whereby he exhorts us as believers to endure, to stay calm, to be resolute, and to remain persistent by faith in submission and in conformity to our Lord while we're under adverse persecutions and afflictions. Well, how is this supposed to take place in your life and in mine? Well, I think he gives us some clear instruction in verses 7 through 12 of James chapter 5. In fact, he tells us in verse 7 and 8 that we are to be patient with an expectation of faith in Christ's return. Remember there, as we read in Luke chapter 21, verses 25 through 28, that Jesus tells us about his return and what is going to immediately precede it. He says, Luke says there in chapter 21, verses 25 through 28, there will be signs in sun and moon and stars, and on the earth dismay among nations, 
in perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves, men fainting from fear and the expectation of the things which are coming upon the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then he says this, our Lord, then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And then he warns us. But when these things begin to take place, straighten up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. These words from our Lord remind us that indeed there will be some cataclysmic events in the heavens above and on earth. Science is actually the one who defines four spheres which are on the earth. There is the geosphere or the lithosphere that deals with land and the minerals. There's the biosphere that deals with the living things on the earth. There's the hydrosphere that deals with the aspects of the water that God had created on the earth. And then there's the atmosphere dealing with everything above the earth. And science also has taken a, a point of defining the spheres of the earth's atmosphere. There's the troposphere that goes from the surface of the earth to about 6.2 miles high. And from there, they have defined from the troposphere the stratosphere that actually goes from the top of the troposphere up to about 31 miles high above the surface of the earth. And then from there, it is from that stratosphere that we have what is known as the infamous ozone layer. And it is that ozone layer that absorbs, if you will, ultraviolet energy of the sun and converts it to radiant heat to warm the earth. From there, from the stratosphere, we have the mesosphere, which is about 53 miles in its layer above the earth. And it has temperatures below 130 degrees Fahrenheit at the top of its layer. And then finally, there is the thermosphere, which absorbs the highest levels of X-ray as well as UV radiation from the sun, causing temperatures in that particular layer to rise from hundreds to thousands of degrees. And it is that layer that borders what we call outer space. When we look at the text there in Luke chapter 21, we find out that all of those spheres, including outer space, will be dreadfully disrupted prior to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. These are identified as cataclysmic events, including miraculous signs on the sun, the moon, and the stars. We'll see the dismay of nations. We'll see the sparking of perplexity over what is happening in the roaring of the sea and the waves. And it'll cause men 
to faint with fear. For the power of the heavens, he says, will be shaken. And yet, it's in that context, despite all of these catastrophic events, that we are told that we need to be ready for the Lord's coming. And that in the interim, as they hated the Lord Jesus, so they will hate us as followers of Jesus. As he says in John chapter 15, verses 18 through 25. Therefore, we as believers in Jesus Christ must by faith be a fervently praying people as we patiently endure such hostilities and persecutions that may come our way, always with the certain expectation of our Lord's return. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 11 says this about this interim time. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but that all should come to repentance. Then he says this, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. And since all these things are to be destroyed, he asks, what sort of people ought we to be in holy conduct and godliness. Remember James's words there in seven, uh, verse 7 and verse 8. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient until it gets the early and the late rains. And then he exhorts us, you too, be patient. Strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near. Second way he brings out that we're to be patient is found in verses 9 through 11. And in verse 9 he says this, Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. We all have the tendency to sigh, to groan, even to grumble and complain when things are not going the way we thought they would go, or that we have been mistreated or wrongfully caused to suffer needlessly. James is telling us very plainly, do not complain against one another. This sort of coincides with Peter's admonition 
in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 9. Instead of complaining, he says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. James also gave us some similar instructions in the earlier chapter in verse 11, where he says, Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you are a judge of the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. James is saying very clearly to us that we are not to be people who are complainers against one another. And he reminds us at the end of this verse, the judge is standing right at the door. As the writer of the Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 30, He reminds us, for we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And he also said, The Lord will judge his people. Quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 35 and 36. And Jesus earlier in John chapter 5 said this, All will hear his voice those who did good to the resurrection of life and those who did evil to the resurrection of judgment. Oftentimes, such thoughts about bowing before the judge of all the earth is often dismissed in the minds of many, of those who are in power, of those who are exceedingly wealthy, of those who are highly revered among the people of this world. You know the people. Such people are there holding high offices, like the president, or the emperors, or the kings, or the prime ministers, or the, the heads, if you will, the CEOs and the CFOs of great businesses. Yes, they can dismiss this often in their minds. But we, too, can easily ignore or dismiss this fact that one day we all will answer before the judge of the living and the dead. <clears throat> this particular mindset can turn militant, just as we saw there in Psalm 2, verses 2 and 3, where we read, the kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers take counsel against the Lord and against his anointing, saying, let us tear their feathers apart and cast away their cords from us. Is this not the posturing that we are seeing 
through our government and officials today, how they are taking their stand against the Lord and against his anointed when it comes to what is the moral mandate that God has given to us as a people created in his image and his likeness. What is the Lord's response to these prideful and militant claims? All you have to do is read verse 4 through 12. Verse 4 says, He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. And then he tells us what his intention is, despite all of these claims that are being made otherwise. I have installed my king in Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely give the nations as his inheritance and to the very ends of the earth as his possession. And then he says this, his anointed, the king. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. And then he gives this warning. Now therefore, O kings, kings of the earth, you who are wealthy, you who think that you're controlling the destiny of yourself and others, now therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord in fear. Do homage to the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. Our example comes from Scripture once again because how we're to respond at this time is to look at the examples that God has already given to us in his word. Look at verses 10 and 11. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. How many of us have read through the the accounts of those who stood by faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Yes, they underwent some great suffering for the cause of Christ and for the cause that God has established that he will do in this world. But they are examples for us. We need to see them for what they are. We count those blessed who endured, he says. And you have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and merciful. James provides these two examples for us proving that we as hearers of these words that he is inspired to write need to be a people who persevere by patiently suffering by faith in Jesus Christ, just as the prophets and Job have done. 
despite the painful mistreatments both prophets and Job endured. Their testimonies are speaking to us today, and they are showing us how the Lord has dealt mercifully and in great compassion for his people who faithfully serve him. We as the people of God are called to share in Christ's sufferings. Jesus said it during the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. Blessed are you when when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Or consider the Apostle Paul's words in Romans chapter 8 and verse 18, where he said, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory to be revealed to us. Or in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, for just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort so also our comfort is abundant through Christ but if we are afflicted it is for your comfort and salvation or if we are comforted it is for your comfort which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer We need to be a people who realize that we need to patiently endure in the hope that we have through Christ our Lord during life's sufferings. And finally, verse 12, we need to be patient in the exercising of our love for Christ in the way that we speak in the way that we tell the truth to others. Notice what he says here in verse 12. He starts with this phrase, but above all, but above all, meaning this is paramount importance. And then he says that we're not to swear by anything or make any oaths, but our words are to be our bond, our stated decision, that which obligates us to bring it to its conclusion. Our yes is to be yes. Our no is to be no. People must know that we as believers in Christ are people who keep our promises, who fulfill what we say we will do even to our own hurt. Are you feeling a bit convicted yet? I know I am, because we all fall short, don't we? 
do we really realize how hurtful this is to be on the receiving end? I don't think so. In truth, this is the love language that truly matters in relationships. Whether they be in marriage, whether they be among family members, whether they be in the context of business dealings, or they be here in the context of our fellowship, the church. Our speech truly reveals our true spiritual state. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15? Out from the heart, the mouth speaks. And Proverbs chapter 10 verse 19 reminds us that where there are many words, sin is unavoidable. Beloved, we not only need to be people of this word, but we need to be people who keep our word. We must be honest. We must be straightforward. We must be plain talkers. Some applications. First is this, let us be a people who patiently and yet persistently are keeping things close to the Lord by praying. Be patiently persisting in praying. Remember the parable that Jesus taught in Luke chapter 18, the parable of the widow and the unrighteous judge? The unrighteous judge says he didn't fear God, nor does he fear man, but because this woman continues to bother him, be persistent in asking for justice, he'll go and judge rightly for her. How much more, Jesus says, will God hear the prayers of his elect? and answer them, and judge them rightly. And at all times, Luke, the Lord says in the Gospel of Luke, at all times to pray and to not lose heart. Secondly, we need to be patiently persevering in suffering. As Paul told the Philippian believers in Philippians 1, verse 29, you have been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. And the third point is this. We need to be patiently plain or pledging in our speaking. Once again, we turn to the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says this, But I say to you, make no oath at all either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, 
or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your statement be, yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is evil. Remember Jesus' words there in Luke chapter 21, verses 27 through 28. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. But when these things begin to take place, straighten up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. May we be patient for the Lord's return by living with an expectation of faith in Jesus coming again. With an endurance of hope through Jesus who has suffered for us so that we would not have to suffer for our sins in eternity. And with an exercise of love for our Lord that we are always speaking the truth in love and doing it all for the glory of God. Yes, we as believers are all called to be patient for the Lord's return. But the fact is, we are also patients that are under our Lord's care, who is doing spiritual surgery on us to remove the vestiges of our sin through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit and by the cleansing and purifying of the Word of God. Are we willing to be that patient under the Lord's cutting tool? However, there may be others sitting here or listening, and you have never repented of your sins. You've never turned to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. You can't be a patient because you're spiritually dead. Dead in your trespasses and sins and under the judgment of God. You need a new life. Hear the words of the writer of the Hebrews. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Instead, know that the God who created you and who sustains you and gives you life today so loved this world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Amen.